Hi, this is Steve. Everyone in Hollywood wants to make a hit, but these days, one hit just isn't enough. What the studios are looking for is what they call a property, an idea or a character that can generate hit after hit after hit after hit. Properties like Star Wars, Star Trek, and superheroes are worth billions of dollars, and the granddaddy of all movie properties is a character that's been thrilling us for more than 50 years. It is, of course, the British secret agent with a taste for vodka martinis, fast cars, and beautiful women. Bond. James Bond. However, on The Cinephiles, we're interested in talking about great films, a category which, unfortunately, a lot of the Bond movies don't quite qualify for. However, there is one that both John and I really like, a film which returns 007 to his gritty origins with an actor that is as tough and dangerous as any that has ever killed for Queen and Country. It also happens to be the most recent film we've done on the podcast. In 2006, the James Bond saga was restarted with Casino Royale starring Daniel Craig. Unfortunately, this one is a little tougher to get. You can buy it from iTunes and Amazon, but there are no rentals available. However, I just checked, and the Blu-ray, which is pretty good, is currently on sale on Amazon for $5.99, which is a great deal. So, that's James Bond and Casino Royale coming this Friday to the cinephiles. The man isn't even a true believer. He's a gun for hire. And thanks to your overdeveloped trigger finger, we have no idea who hired him or why. And how the hell did you find out where I lived? Same way I found out your name. I thought M was a randomly assigned letter. I had no idea it stood for... Utter one more syllable and I'll have you killed. I knew it was too early to promote you. Well, I understand double O's have a very short life expectancy. So your mistake will be short-lived. Welcome once again to The Cinephiles, where each week we enter the world of a great film, explore its themes, its history, the filmmaking, and the influence it has on us today. My name is Steve Morris. I'm a filmmaker and directing instructor in Los Angeles, California. Hello, everyone. I'm finishing up a couple of jelly beans. This is John Roca. I am a voiceover artist, a host of shows, and actor every once in a while here in Los Angeles, California. Um, and I am also eating jelly beans, and so there'll be some chewing in this episode. <laughs> Maybe that's too much information Listen, for you. This is free content for these people. <laughs> so, like, if we're going to have a couple of jelly beans, excuse us for having a couple of jelly beans because we're trying. We're doing multiple episodes back to back, and so we just need a little bit of energy boost so we can give you the best show possible. The Cinephiles, sponsored <laughs> by Jelly Belly. <laughs> I wish. Wouldn't that be nice? Uh, we'd be so heavy. So we'd be so heavy. Today we are going to talk about one of the great, possibly the most successful film character series of all time. Yes. And that is the James Bond, I think we can call it a reboot, Casino Royale. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. 2006. This is our most recent film. Um, uh, yeah, that we've, we've ever, ever done. done. We've broken the 2000s. We've broken thing. the 2000s. Yeah. And we, we, talked the about, we talked about like the what, what our rule is. Some mm -hmm. people have asked, like, well, what's your rule for picking films? Right. The top priority for picking films for us is, that sounds like fun. <laughs> you know, movies that we love, movies mm -hmm. that we feel like we have something to share. And, 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 and the one thing we said is we want it to be a movie that's, you know, stood the test of time. So I think a good rule is eh, 10 years. Mm -hmm. You know, if it's been around for 10 years and we still think it's great, then it stood the test of time. This one came out in 2006. Yeah. We're exactly 10 years right now. So mm -hmm. we thought it was time to do it. You know, normally I start by asking you how you first came to the film, mm -hmm. but I'd like to ask a different question. Go ahead. Which is, how did you first come to James Bond? 
I've do, never do you remember your first Bond movie. So let's talk about that because I've never been the biggest Bond fan. That's the truth. Like to me, I always found those films to be a bit weird. And I and I probably am alienating a number of our male audience members. I apologize, but for me, I never and found and female too. I'm sure I never found uh, an interest in Bond the way other people did. In fact, I think my first Bond film that I ever watched was A View to a Kill, which is probably one of the worst ones I've ever made. Do you have but good memories of that though? I do enjoy. Yes, because of the cheesiness of it, and and with Christopher Walken and the uh, the weirdness of Grace Jones in my mind, the weirdness at a 16 year old kid or 15, whenever I saw that, and then Tanya Roberts, I think, is in the film, who's very mm-hmm. sexy at the time. I'm coming off Sheena. I think Sheena is the name of the movie that she was in. So these are the kind of things that uh, uh, are available to you as a, as, a, as, a, as, as a Bond guy. For me, it was it was never, I just never had a thing for Sean Connery. Or anything. But then I saw Goldfinger and Goldfinger mm. changed everything for me. And it was when I was going through that cinephile phase of watching stuff, watching sure. stuff. So for me, Goldfinger was the one that made me love the character and love the franchise. And then I went back and saw the films and then it, which led into enjoying Casino Royale. So, my first Bond film, yeah, 1977, <laughs> okay. David Selig, my best friend's yeah. ninth birthday party. We went to San Francisco to the Coronet Theater, a whole bunch of nine-year-olds, right. to see The Spy Who Loved Me. Oh, nice. And it was one of the great moments. And the thing to remember, like 1977, it's right before Star Wars came out. Right. Because, so there is no Star Wars. Yeah. I thought it was the greatest thing I'd ever seen in my life. And it's where I started this theory that... And it's proven mostly to be not true, but I'm mm-hmm. going to tell you what it is anyway, which is that for most guys, their first Bond movie is special. Yeah. No matter how terrible it was. Yeah. That when you first saw that, first had that experience, it meant something to you. And for me, it was Spy Love Me. Mm-hmm. For a couple, people who were a couple years uh, younger, it was Moonraker, which is yeah. a terrible movie. Yeah. But they still love it because you first time you see Bond, I mean, for me, it was there was this guy with these metal jaws and there was an underwater car and there was cool gadgets, yeah. and there was sharks and there was a villain's lair and there were nuclear weapons. And it was awesome. Um, it was so awesome, in fact, that I decided for my next birthday, I would do the same thing. And I took all the kids that I knew to a double feature oh. of Diamonds Are Forever. No, no, there was no Bond movie at the time, oh. so I took them to a double feature of Corvette Summer oh. and Going Coconut, starring Donnie and Maria. Oh Osmond. my gosh! My birthday party was not as successful. As David <laughs> what a come down, man! Even then, I knew that this was not; these were not good. And I think that was Mark Hamill's attempt Mark to Hamill. break out of the Luke Skywalker right after casting. Star Wars. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so, so Bond is you know we got I don't know how many movies I should have looked it up twenty something movies twenty five I think at least yeah. Yeah. it's a lot of movies yeah. And here's, here's where I'm going to disappoint our uh, Bond fans. Most of them are bad. Yes, they are. There are a lot of bad movies. Yeah. And not only are they bad, but they're kind of the same bad mm-hmm. over and over again. Mm-hmm. And this is one of the dangers of having a, a serialized character. Mm-hmm. Is you have, on the one hand, we want to do a new movie. And on the other hand, we need to fan service, essentially, all the little things that are supposed to happen in a Bond movie. Yeah. He's going to have to say shake and not stirred. He's going to have to say Bond, James Bond. Yeah. He's going to have to go to Q and get some cool gadgets. There's going to be a, a beautiful woman who's maybe a spy from the other side who we don't trust at first and right. then we eventually trust. You know, like, all oh, we're going to go to the secret lair. We're going to have an action sequence at the opening that's going to end with him shooting the gun. Then yeah. we're going to have the girls in the credit sequence and we're going to have all the same stuff. And right. Having all the same stuff over and over and over again is not a good way to make a good movie. And and I didn't know when I was nine years old or 10 or 12 or 13 when I watched these movies at the time, but they're yeah. pretty stupid. Yeah. A lot of them. Yeah. A lot of them. That being said. Yeah. Casino Royale is a lot of fun. And I thought 
it's an amazing it's a, I thought it was a great way to reboot the character and ter- even he Daniel Craig is even more badass than Sean Connery more badass than George Lazenberry Lazenby more badass than Roger Moore Timothy Dalton Pierce Brosnan a lot of people all are more those. badass like, than yeah, Roger Moore I think well true but I think Roger Craig really brought back the authenticity of the violence and ferocity of the Bond character that you see and read in the Ian Fleming novels. Yeah, well, and that's what I want to go back to. Yeah. So, so have you read the books, by the way? Yes. Yeah, they're the books good. Are great. They're really good. Yeah. I recommend you read them. I read them maybe two or three years ago, and I reread Casino Royale because they're short. Yeah. I reread it like three days ago. Yeah. And and they're they're gritty and they're good and they're uh, much closer to the Daniel Craig Bond. Yes. Uh, the first Casino Royale is the first book. Mm-hmm. It's written in 1953. He wrote it at in uh, Jamaica at his house. Yeah, uh, his house. The name of his house. Do you know what his name of Ian Fleming's house in Jamaica is? <laughs> no, Goldeneye. <laughs> yeah, there are all these Bond things that kind of wow. come through that really came. Ian Fleming, and this is not bullshit. Yeah. Was really a spy. Like yeah. he, he he was with military intelligence in uh, World War Two. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, naval intelligence. Um, quite important there. He established a commando team that were on D Day that you know had like full on like James Bond style commando yeah. training. He even um, when going back and forth to the United States was part of setting up the original OSS, which became the CIA, and be- received a commendation from FDR wow. for this really important memo, my understanding, yeah. in terms of how the CIA was going to operate in the future you know, mm-hmm. uh, intelligence community for the United States. So he, he really was the real deal. Yeah, And he wrote uh, Casino Royale right before he was getting married when... From all speculation, he was just really depressed that his life as a swinging bachelor was going to end. Right. And he wrote Casino Royale. It was immediately a pretty big hit. And did you know that this Casino Royale is not the second, but in fact, the third filmed version oh, of this story? I knew it was the second. I thought it was the second because that Orson Welles, Peter Sellers yeah, yeah. one. So, and it's really, and this is important to talk about because of how all this happened yeah. in terms of Bond. So in 1953, there is a live television Casino Royale. Mm-hmm. What? Wow. In the US, it, it, an hour long TV thing. And in it, there is not James Bond, but Jimmy Bond, an American gambler. Okay. And what's important about this is in addition to oh, that, we're bizarre, so zing- jingoistic in this country. Yes, well, right? it gets worse. Okay. <laughs> so so then some guy got the rights to the book. And, and, and what happened that's weird, which is why it took us so long to get Casino Royale, is that they sold the rights to the first book, but yeah. not the Bond character. Oh, interesting. And then when the book, the series of books became a hit, the Bond character and the other books, yeah. with the exception of Thunderball, which is another complicated issue, yeah. were all sold separately. Oh, okay, wow. So the dude that owned the books, and I'm not going to remember the names, a yeah. Russian guy, okay. and then later uh, partnered up with a big super agent, whose name yeah. I'm also forgetting at the moment. Anyway... They start working on a Bond script in the 50s. So this is long before we get to Dr. No. Wow. And the first choice they made was, they go, okay, it's set in Monte Carlo or whatever. There's Vesper. There's Le Chivre. Mm-hmm. There's all these characters. And the, you know the one thing they didn't have in it? James Bond. No James Bond. <laughs> they took out James Bond. And in his place, they put an American gambler named Lucky. This is entirely 100% true. He wasn't a spy. There was mob stuff, not spy stuff. Of course. And they spent many, many years trying to get this made. First actor who was attached to play Lucky, Mm -hmm. Gary Cooper. Whoa! Yeah. 
the director they were, t- but he ended up, they decided he was too old. Yeah, you think? The, the director they were talking <laughs> to who wanted to do it, yeah. Howard Hawks. Oh, wow. So we have a <sighs> mid-50s Casino Royale with no James Bond <laughs> starring an wow. American actor, not Gary Cooper, and directed by Howard Hawks. God, I'm glad that did not see the light of day. Right? And then Dr. No comes out, yeah. and it's a big hit. And right. then uh, uh, From Russia with Love comes out, it's an even bigger hit. Mm-hmm. By the way, I really like From Russia with Love. Yes. That's a, Russia Robert a good Shaw, one. and that's a good one. Yes. And they go, oh, we got something here. And by this point, the Russian guy who owned the rights had died. And the, the agent, whose name I've forgotten. Mm-hmm. Um, Swifty Lazar. Yeah, no, we'll call it. It's not Swifty Lazar. <laughs> um, uh, he has a big, he's a producer, and he yeah. has a big success with What's New Pussycat. Mm-hmm. He produces that, which is where Woody Allen started. And it was this sort of odd, weird British satire. And mm-hmm. he said, oh, because now we've had a couple of real Bond movies. He said, let's do a satire. And so he is the guy who produced oh. the John Huston, Woody Allen, David Nivett, Orson Welles, Casino Royale in the late 60s. Right. That is fascinatingly horrible. Yes. It's, to me, it's unwatchable. It it's is so, so weird. It's, un- it's so psychedelically weird. It's it, unwatchable. Well, and it's just one of those examples of like old guys trying to be cool. Mm-hmm. Where you go, guess what? You're not cool. <laughs> it really wants to be Austin Powers. It's really yeah. what it's kind of thinks it's that yeah it's just, this is frank sinatra singing downtown yeah. you're like mm, yeah, don't do, yeah, don't don't do, do that. that do what you do do what you do yeah, yeah exactly don't yeah and so so for this is not a recommendation from the cinephiles yeah. but if you really are a cinephile and you really want a sense of completion sure. you could it is a weird movie but just i remember seeing that on channel five in dc as a kid in the 80s yeah and i was me like, too probably what, about the same time what in the crap is this you know and it was so weird i just didn't because i was a pink panther fan because peter sellers right. so i watched the film thinking it was maybe another version of pink panther and it completely wasn't and there are all these talented people yes there are the thousands yes um and again not really a james bond in the movie yeah. Um, yeah, so so then the rights go into La La Land, mm-hmm. and the Broccoli's, which that's Albert mm-hmm. Cubby Broccoli's, the guy who produced all the James Bond movies, yeah. in massive legal fights to control these rights over the years, yeah. and they've made every single Bond no- novel and all sorts of other movies, but no Casino Royale. And it's finally in the late 90s, in a lawsuit with Sony, who ended up with the rights in Columbia, yeah. that they finally uh, brought the rights back in. And at this point, uh, we had, so we have our, we can name some of our Bond guys. You said Sean Connery's our first one, yeah. briefly George Lazenby, then Roger Moore, which he's the Bond I grew up with. Okay. You know, because that's yeah. Spy Love Me and all those. Then we get to Timothy Dalton and mm-hmm. finally uh, Pierce Brosnan. Right. And Pierce Brosnan was a very successful Bond. I enjoyed Pierce Brosnan's Bond. Yeah. Um, and um, his movies were actually the last movie, which I think is Die Another Day of his yes um was the most successful of the pierce brosnan mm-hmm. so it's not like he was getting stale no but the people that were making bond were getting a little bored yeah and then the halle berry character in i think die another day yeah jazz jinx jinx it was a jinx, jinx. So and they go oh she's really cool let's do a spinoff so they start to do a jinx spinoff they write a script for it and they write it and this is just according to what they said i don't know right. if this is true right. much realer and edgier and the writers who had been writing Bond forever went, this is much more fun. Yeah. Let's not do Jinx. Yeah. So that gets canned. And they just got to the rights of Casino Royale. And they said, hey, why don't we do Casino Royale, which is Bond's origin story. Yeah. And do it in this darker, more realistic tone. And But we can't do that with Pierce Brosnan. 
because he's too old yeah. and we've already established him. We can't do it. So that's how they decide that we're, they're going to reboot. Wow. It's not that Pierce, Pierce Brosnan probably would have done more. Yeah, I'm sure. And it was successful, but they went, no, let's reboot. And that's how we get to Casino Royale yeah. in 2006. Yeah. Um, Daniel Craig. With Daniel Craig, who is great. And he came out of left field. Oh, yeah. I mean, there were so many other people they were considering at the time. The British actors, American actors, probably doing British accents. There's so many character actors they were considering at the time, and no one thought of Daniel Craig. Like no one had really yeah. known him. I mean, you saw him in Road to Perdition, but he played this like mealy-mouthed, weak guy. He's so, in Munich. Yeah, in Munich. Well, yeah, and those things. So you hadn't really seen a lot of it, and then he gets this, and it becomes this huge thing, and he has to kind of learn overnight how to deal with the attention and the press of it all, you know. And so uh, it was a. From reading numerous interviews with him, it was a heck of a learning curve. Well, and you could imagine like taking on the mantle of Bond, yeah. especially when you're not a typically handsome guy. He's a good-looking dude. He's brutally handsome, right? But he's not like Pierce Brosnan or Roger Moore. This easy, uh, easy good look. It's John Hamm type vibe to him. He has a harder edge. No, he has you know? very uh, stone-like facial yeah. structures. Yeah, he's yeah. a very intense look. I, I compare it to Uma Thurman. If you separate Uma Thurman's facial features separately, maybe not the most attractive. You put it together, incredibly beautiful. Hmm. That's it's the way I, I have look to at go it. look at Uma Thurman. Please do. Maybe Uma Thurman and uh, Daniel Craig, nice couple. <laughs> no. I don't know. I think she's fine with her billionaire husband. Okay, fair enough. Yes. Um, so at, on our next episode of Celebrity Matchmaking, <laughs> um, yeah, I can't. I mean, it's got to be really weird to be offered one of these gigs. Mm -hmm. Like you're offered, you know, Harry Potter. You're offered to be the new Captain Kirk. You're yeah. offered to be, and you know. This is the first line of my epitaph. Yeah. You know, like this is going to be it for me. And for good or for bad. Yeah. I mean, it certainly is the first line of, of George Lazenby. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, you he know, didn't do much else. That's yeah. it. You know, and yeah. so, and you're, oh, you're the guy that was the Bond failure. Right. And so that's got to be really, really scary. And which is so funny because Majesty's Secret Service is a good film. It's really good. It's one of the best Bond films that there is. If you're going to yeah. do a top 10, so to speak, I would, that, I put it in my top 10 of Bond films. I really enjoy Majesty's Secret. So it's weird to me that he never came back. I, he's not a typically, he's not your typical Bond, right. but he is the correlation to Daniel Craig. Oh, yeah. The Lazenby Bond yeah. is much closer to Daniel Craig than any other Bond that came before or after. Yeah. So we get to Casino Royale, and and it's funny. What they did, they really did try to follow the book yeah. but expand it. Yeah. So the big opening action sequence, that's not in the book. Like all <laughs> the the kind of the big yeah. action set pieces are not in the book, but the basic structure is there. Right. And, and what's interesting with this Bond is, yeah. I don't want to say he's a sociopath. Yeah. But he's pretty close. Uh, yes, he's kind of he has a darkness to him, and we get that right from the beginning in that black and which is so brilliant. The black yeah. and white intro, which initially I remember seeing in the theater, thinking, "Oh, why is MGM and Black Book? What is going on? Do they need to adjust?" And then you see the reason why. Why? Yeah. Because you're being introduced to this character as a black and white character. He sees yeah. things in this way, and there is a ruthlessness to him that we have not seen before in Bond. Shame. We barely got to know each other. I know where you keep your gun. Suppose that's something. Well, you needn't worry. The second is... And we go back to what is the actual meaning of 007, according to Ian Fleming, and the meaning of 007 is you are an assassin. Yeah. That's what it is, is that it's not you're a super spy. Yeah. It's that you're there to kill people. Yeah. 
And when you get that opening sequence, which I think is the first kind of mainstream introduction of parkour. Yeah. Oh, is, yeah. Is, is that you have this guy running through this construction site. We're in the Caribbean Bahamas, I think. Mm -hmm. And it's a fantastic action sequence. Great. Which is typical of every Bond movie, right? They open oh, yeah. with this fantastic action sequence. Usually, that's why the opening was a little different this way with, do with doing the murder first. Right. And then you get to the massive action sequence. But you had introduced a new Bond. And yep. the way you introduce him is to do it that way. It was such a great introduction. And then we get into this awesome action sequence. And what you see in the way that this Bond goes is it's tenacious yeah. and brutal mm -hmm. and not quitting and not elegant and stylish like Roger yeah. Moore. It's not sophisticated and witty like Pierce Brosnan. Mm -hmm. It is this guy literally runs through a wall yeah. at one point in the action sequence and is you know risking himself in a physical way that we don't see from Bond. Yeah, there's a way that he runs, that Daniel Craig runs as the character. Yeah. I don't know if Daniel Craig run like that, runs like that in real life, but as the character, there is it's unrelenting. It's unstoppable. Yeah. It's pistons just moving forward through. Uh, well, I would I would correlate it to a jackhammer. It's just going through. There's no stopping it. And he's a scary guy. He really is. He, he's not like you know. And I think the only one close is Sean Connery in terms of having a physical intensity. Yes, sure. and an internal violence. Mm -hmm. And one of the things like interesting about where Bond comes from. Uh, is that, you know, Bond's written, created, the idea comes in the late 40s, early 50s, mm -hmm. and this is a time when England was on rationing after World War II. Yes. And one of the things they talk about early Bond is that it was a aspirational story because mm -hmm. it, Bond is interested in the finest champagne and the finest caviar, and right. he drives the Rolls Royce. And it's very much, and so was Fleming. Everything we know about Fleming mm -hmm. was he loved... Um, all of the finest of things, including beautiful women, and was really interested in, in the gourmetness of it all. Mm -hmm. And that was a world that didn't exist in uh, post-World War II England. Yes. It, it, it wasn't there. And, and that it was hearkening back to this time of empire. And that's one of the important things about Bond's character is he is not an upper-class guy, yeah. according to Fleming. Yeah. He's a guy trying to be an upper-class guy. Right. He is a lower-class guy. He's an orphan. He's a tough guy mm -hmm. who came up from the streets and is now in a society that's above his level, right. which when you get to Roger Moore or Piers Brosnan, that's not what it is, yeah. you know, because each of those guys defines themselves. Yeah. With Sean Connery, you can see that a little bit. Absolutely. Yeah, but and with Daniel Craig, it's absolutely true yeah this is a tough guy who is in a class above himself right yeah. now yeah yeah <laughs> yes you, you sometimes you look at me with these moments of expectation yes because i'm like, like we've we've closed the chapter on craig what are you going to bring up next that's in my mind i'm like yeah i got nothing to add from what you just wrote today so we, yes. we we meet Judy Dench playing M and she and she's the only character ca carried through from the yeah. Brosnan held over from Brosnan um, yeah. and she's great I yeah mean, she's, she's a, fantastic she, she adds such power and such intelligence mm -hmm. and her treatment of and Bond. frustration oh, and yeah. frustration because yeah. I mean in old Bond movies Bond was always irritating the administration right and the way our hero irritates the bureaucrats yeah. This movie, I think, is fundamentally different because she is treated as an intelligent person who really does know what's going on. Yeah. And, and Bond is treated as someone making a mistake. Okay. I mean, I don't think you... I think you side with M when, yes. she, when she dresses him down. Yes. Like, the choices that he makes to go into this embassy at the beginning action sequence cause a huge, obviously, international incident, make these choices, and she's like, why would you do that? Yeah. You've got a bloody cheek. Sorry. I'll shoot the camera first next time. Or yourself. You stormed into an embassy. 
You violated the only absolutely inviolate rule of international relationships. And why? So you could kill a nobody. We wanted to question him, not to kill him. For God's sake, you're supposed to display some kind of judgment. I did. I thought that one less bomb maker in the world would be a good thing. Exactly. One bomb maker. We're trying to find out how an entire network of terrorist groups is financed and you give us one bomb maker. Hardly the big picture, wouldn't you say? Uh, you go, she's right, he's wrong. And that's a great place to start with yeah. our character because something, something I'd like to say about sort of how we approach characters. The basic rule is that your character is supposed to change in a movie. Yeah. Okay. But there's some characters that really don't and that's okay. You know, like I don't think not every movie is about some character going through a substantial change, particularly a character like James Bond. Mm -hmm. We don't expect that in every single Bond movie, he is going to come be a completely different person by the right. end of the film. Right. You go there to see Bond. Yeah. And, uh, but unfortunately that becomes kind of, uh, a crutch as the movies go on because they be, he changes. There's, there's never any changes. Like, oh, I'm just doing the same thing over and right, over again. Right. Daniel Craig in Casino Royale does change. Yeah. He is a guy who has to learn important, difficult lessons in the course of the film. Well, it's the beginning of a trilogy, right? Because you have Quantum of Solace and then you have uh, uh, Skyfall. Skyfall yeah. And which is the which is the wrapping up of the Vesperlin storyline is Skyfall. Right. And then you have it bleed into a little bit of Spectre, but we're introduced to a new romance for him. Right. But through the beginning of this film, th this is the film setting up this trilogy, this, which we I didn't know was going to be a trilogy. Like, I don't think many people no. knew that. But it was going to have this, it was going to change Bond from this brutish, frustratingly difficult person under right. M's control. He's being softened by the relationship with, with Eva Green as Vesperlin. And it really takes the audience in a very, very difficult emotional ride through this right. film because he lets his guard down, he lets her in, and you see the softer parts of Bond and she turns on, and she turns on him. And by the way, this is the moment I guess we should say once again: if you haven't seen Casino Royale, please stop right now, go back, watch it, then pick up from here because we're going to spoil the hell out of the movie. It is, it is that relationship that I think stands out for me most out of this entire oh, yeah. film. I love Mads Mikkelsen as Shifre. I love Mads Mikkelsen. Period. M is great. The new people are great. Everyone involved is great in the film. But to me, that relationship is so powerful, and it's so different from anything. Anything we've seen in Bond. And once again, it harkens back to Lazenby. That's Lazenby the one, yeah. marries uh, the right. woman and, and then she gets killed in, at the end of Majesty's Secret Service, just like Vesper does at the end of, of Casino well, Royale. And, and this goes back to this idea of, does a character have to change in the film? And for most of Bond, he doesn't. He doesn't Every right. woman he meets yeah. that he sleeps with, yeah. he has the same emotional connection with. Mm -hmm. He likes them. He thinks it's going to be fun to have sex with right. them. And he's never going to think of them again. Right. And... In, Which is reflective of the misogyny of the times. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and and it's interesting, like, wh why this... At what point does this character cease to be attractive? Yeah. You know? Um, I mean, certainly for men, he was treated as this aspirational character. Sure. Great cars, beautiful women, mm -hmm. tough, you know, all these things. I'm sure some women really enjoyed that, too. Well, it's, you know, yeah. Sean Connery is a sexy man. He's a good-looking guy. Yeah. I mean, he was certainly popular in his day. Yes, he um, was. Uh, I'm sure Roger Moore had his followers before he came out as homosexual. I'm yeah. sure a lot of women thought he was very It's so funny guy. looking now the difference between watching a Sean Connery movie Bond and watching <laughs> Roger Moore Bond. Yes. And Roger Moore, like I said, that was my Bond. Yeah. And when you get to a movie like uh, View to a Kill yeah. or Octopussy or it's just like, ooh, <laughs> this is weird. He's doing these extra smirks that are interesting. Well, that yeah. became, well and this is the thing. Is Which that, is great. You know? 
there's a th- there's a book on theater called uh, The Empty Space by Peter Brook, yes. famous British director. Good book. And he one of the chapters he has is called The Deadly Space. And what The Deadly Space is about is basically really the bad theater where people go into a Shakespeare play and they go in expecting a certain thing and they're given the thing they expected, right. even if the thing they expected was to be bored. Yeah. And then they feel happy at the end because yeah. they got what they expected. And that that is deadly when it comes to theater. And that's deadly when it comes to Bond. Yeah. You know, is that when it's just here's the moment where Bond seduces the girl. Mm-hmm. Here's the moment where he has the one liner and you're waiting for it and it gives it to you and you go, ah, thanks. Yeah. Yeah. And it, at some point though, and this is what relates back to what you said earlier, Steve, they had gotten a little stale with Pierce. Pierce yeah. was doing all of that. You know, they gave yeah. him somewhat of a love interest in, in Tomorrow Never Dies with, uh, no, no, I mean, The World Is Not Enough uh, with uh, the French actress, Sophia Marceau. They gave right, him a sure. little bit of a love interest out of the possibilities of it, right? But they you always see, do. They give her, in, in Tomorrow Never Dies, it's yeah. with Michelle Yao. I guess you're right. That's yeah. the that's the Bond yeah, thing. That's a good point. You're going to meet this person, they're right. going to have a conflict at the beginning, then they have to work together, yeah. then they're going to have sex, and then we go to the next movie. And yeah, that's gone. true. It happens with Denise Richards uh, as World Is Not Enough as well, right? What you're happens right. to the Spy of Love? It's what right. happens in every one of these movies. So I guess my point is that they wanted to react to what had been be growing in the pop culture was this kind of pushback against Bond. The writers uh, in pop culture were in, in the way, on on the internet initially, and then also in newspapers. They were starting to come out these editorials that were like, "Is he a dinosaur? Is he a fossil? Is the right. misogyny the misogynistic nature of Bond?" Is that does that work for nowadays? And what they smartly did was they gave they went to an origin uh, story with Casino Royale and they made they gave him a love interest. He still a has the sex with the woman uh, at the near the beginning of the film when he's trying to get the information about Lipsis, but there is more to him than that, and Vesper really brings that out. Well, they, I mean, they give him the misogynistic, I'm just interested in this sexy right. woman. That's very classic Bond. Right. But then you get uh, Eva Green, you get Vesper, yeah. and she gets in, he falls in love. Because she's as good for her. She is his equal in every way, shape, and form. All right. By the cut of his suit, you went to Oxford or wherever. Naturally, think human beings dressed like that. But you were it with such disdain. My guess is you didn't come from money. And your school friends never let you forget it. Which means you were at that school by the grace of someone else's charity, hence the chip on your shoulder. And since your first thought about me ran to orphan, that's what I'd say you are. Well, you are. <laughs> I like this poker thing. And that makes perfect sense. Since MI6 looks for maladjusted young men, I give little thought to sacrificing others in order to protect queen and country. You know. Former SAS types with easy smiles and expensive watches. Rolex? Amiga. Beautiful. Now, I haven't just met you. I wouldn't go as far as calling you a cold-hearted bastard. Yeah, of course not. But it wouldn't be a stretch to imagine. You think of women as disposable pleasures rather than meaningful pursuits. So as charming as you are, Mr. Bond, I will be keeping my eye on our government's money. And off your perfectly formed hearts. You noticed. Even accountants have imagination. I want to talk about poker. Yes, please. So originally in the in the book it's baccarat. Which yes, and we baccarat. now update it because it's poker. And yes, and they uh, they do Texas Hold'em, and that's very popular. And I understand why. Mm-hmm. This is just a personal thing. So the very first screenplay I tried to write. Uh, I had a poker scene. Yes. And I realized then it's really hard to write a poker scene. Yes. And hard to film it. And the reason is, is because you have to know what every single person has in their hand, 
what every single person has bet, yeah. what exactly the big blind and the little blind and who's bluffing and who's not. <laughs> and then all the dialogue is determined by whose turn it is to bet. Right. And so what happened is like, like I, I want that guy to say something now. I'm going to have to move his seat one to the left yeah. so he could say something earlier. Oh, but now I have to change what the bets are. And now I have to write, you have to write down a chart mm-hmm. of how much money is in the pot and who has how much. It's really hard yeah. just technically to figure it out. And then it's hard filming for the same reason that 12 angry men is hard filming mm-hmm. because you have all this stuff with eyeline. Yeah. And so they had to work out a really complicated poker scene. And by the way, most of the people didn't play. And so uh, oh, the producer really? taught everyone how to play poker. Oh. And apparently there are a lot of behind the scenes uh, poker games going on. Oh, the whole really? time they're yeah, filming it. Of course. Because all that drama is happening yeah. in the poker game. Yeah. You know, and, and the first thing that happens is that Bond loses. Mm-hmm. He thinks this guy has a tell, but he really doesn't have a tell. Right. Or, or he does have a tell, but maybe... Uh, What's his name? Mathis told yes. uh, Le Chiffre about the tell, yeah. and they con Bond, and he's lost everything, only get rescued by the CIA, by right. Felix Leiter. Um, it's a, they're really, really good poker sequences, mm-hmm. which, by the way, if you read the book, that's 60% of the book. Wow. It's just the Baccarat. It's oh, just the card game. Because they don't have the heart attack. Mm-hmm. They don't have the opening parkour. Obviously, there's no parkour. Right. Then. They don't have that sequence. <laughs> right. They do have the car chase. Okay. And the ending is much less dramatic in right. the book. John, I can't tell you how excited I am about the Cinephile's new sponsor, an absolutely incredible game, Marvel Strike Force. Now, anyone who's listened to the show knows that I've been reading comic books since I was five years old, and this is like a comic book fan's dream come true. You could create a mobile squad and play as your favorite Marvel characters. I mean, everyone is there. The Punisher, Vision, Black Panther, Cap, or even my favorite Marvel character of all time, Daredevil. Your goal is to power up those characters, unlock gear, and use them to compete in player versus player mode, alliance mode, and real-time arena. Yes, Stephen, as we speak, they are enjoying their six-year anniversary. Six years, wow. And you know what that means? Free stuff just for signing up via their unique link in the description. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses. If you complete each event, you can receive special rewards and skins. Completing every single mission throughout the entire anniversary will result in an even more special reward. Make sure to log in each day and each week to take advantage of all the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out, y'all. Check out that unique promo code, and for every new user, please follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. Once again, Thank you so much to Marvel Strike Force. We're very, very excited to have you sponsoring this episode. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. 
I love that scene where he's dying and has to get give himself. A, oh my god! Yeah. It's so well done, Steve. Yeah, because he's like fumbling in the in the uh, glove compartment, trying to get everything squared away, and yeah. he's like, he's he, you, you can a, feel this, yeah. you know. Yeah, great performance of Daniel Craig. Yeah. And then there's a moment that I think is I won't say it's the key moment in the whole film, but it's really important. Welcome, Martini. Shaken or stirred? Do I look like I give a damn? Why do you why why do you think I'm saying that's really important? Well, well, I think because it's 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 basically saying this is a whole new bond, yeah. and the tropes and the cliches of the exactly. previous bonds will not be in this bond, and yeah. you can enjoy him again. Let's yeah. free ourselves from all those cliches. Yep. And 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 of course they do introduce all of them later on in the subsequent movies. Yeah. But 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 at least we go no no this is a new guy we yeah. don't have to do all that stuff. Yep. It's not going to happen. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Until like for instance. He says, Bond, James Bond, that's the end of the movie. That is the last line of the movie, yep. I think. Yep. Um, is that that's really, uh, that's where he says, okay, now we're in. Now yeah. you're going to be James Bond. Yeah. Do you want to talk about uh, Mads Mikkelsen or what do you want to jump into next? Uh, sure, Mads Mikkelsen. Yeah. Le Chiffre. This, what an interesting... Now, you've read it. So I haven't, re- yeah. I haven't read Casino Royale. I read a, f- a few of the other Bond books, but not Casino Royale. Uh, does he have the eye bleed or is this? Oh it. Yeah. wow, yeah, that's yeah. great! Yeah, that's so great. So you see that I think I'd never seen Mads Mikkelsen in anything until I saw this movie and rewatching it again for the podcast. You see, he's still as powerful because I just saw Doctor Strange a few days ago. So you I still see, haven't seen it. Oh, you haven't? Oh yeah, yeah he's. I was happy to see him as a mainstream villain mm. in another film. Like the man needs to work more than he does. He needs to be part of things more than he does, uh, more than he is because he's such a good actor, man. He's great. I saw him in Valhalla Rising. I've seen him mm. in a number of the prop. Uh, uh, what was uh, the situation? Some western he was in a couple of years ago, which was really great. He's such a good actor, and I think he shines so well in this movie. And you had to give him somebody that you felt could go toe to toe with Daniel Craig and the ferocity of Craig's portrayal. Well, and a great lesson for him: don't do too much. <laughs> he doesn't do much. He really doesn't. He's just he has a great look. Yes, they have a great like scar. Mm-hmm. You have the great eye thing, yeah, um, and he's almost silent through yeah. most of the film. He speaks under everyone else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and, and and it's just a really scary villain. And what's interesting, and this is true in Casino Royale, what's interesting about him is he's not important as a bad guy. Right, is that he's a, not an underling; he's a middle bad guy. Yes, and that he and this is just a exactly what you should never do in a movie that works so great is. Mm-hmm killing your bad guy 20 minutes before your movie's over yeah it's really strange yeah and it really is unsettling and it means that once he dies and he die, and bond doesn't kill him yeah bond's completely helpless when he dies yeah he gets killed by somebody else once he dies the movie is now open yeah you know when you watch a movie and you know what kind of movie you're watching and you know what time it is okay the movie i've, I'm, I've been an hour and 10 minutes in <laughs> yeah this movie is this long so this you know we're gonna have another action sequence and then we got to kill the guy now and oh now i know the movie's over. yeah that guy dies and you got 20 more minutes you have no idea what's gonna happen now yeah what's the movie about right our bad guy's dead yeah and the answer is the movie is the because the, the real story is the bond story it's not the lachifer story it's the bond story and we still have to continue exploring it yeah 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 he's great yeah. he's a really good villain yeah and i like the uh movements that he has in the movie 
the progression of feeling the power of it. And then, because she's introduced through like the whole sequence uh, with Mr. White and the stuff in Africa and the, right. all this. We, we see him progress through the movie on the ship. You know, this guy who's on the boat, rather, this guy who's in, who's in power right, and in right. command of his world. And here comes Bond and he does what he does. And he has to fight Bond with every possible uh, 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 weapon at his disposal, both physically and, and uh, emotionally, you know? And I think that's, you had to have the right actor who could, uh, who could pull that off. And Mads really does all the way up until the end. And I think what's also great is that you have this other balance, this counterbalance with Jeffrey Wright as this American right. character Who's who, great. Is, who is so good in everything he does. Yeah, he's great. You know? Yeah, he's one of those actors who doesn't seem like he's acting. <laughs> no. He just, this is the guy that's in this thing. And oh, that's Felix Leiter. Okay. Yeah, yeah he's great. Yeah. Um, so let's yeah. talk about torture. Okay. So this is a, it's A, directly out of the book. The knock the bottom out of a rattan chair, strap a naked guy to this chair, and beat him with a rope's end. Mm-hmm. It is right out of Ian Fleming in the book. It is a brutal, <laughs> brutal scene. <laughs> but it's so. Visceral? God, yes. God, yes. As a man, it's incredibly visceral. Cause... And Daniel Craig does such a great job. I mean, listen, people, you need to understand something. As an actor, <laughs> to convey torture in a way that is believable and what he's doing in that, in that sequence, the strength that he is showing at the same time that he is exposing himself to the lunacy of the situation. How he ended up having his balls whacked by this incredibly thick robe through a wicker chair is insane to conceive of the pain. Yeah. But the laughing is the mania, is the nuttiness of it all yeah. that he is. He allows himself, and which I thought was brilliant for the director and for Daniel Craig to dial into and really lean into during that scene because it allows you to not lose your faith in his strength, which I think was so well oh, yeah. done. <laughs> now the whole world's gonna know that you died scratching my balls. <laughs> well, I died. I died. Yes. Because no matter what you do, I'm not gonna give you the password, which means your clients are gonna hunt you down and cut you into little pieces of meat while you're still breathing. Yeah. Well, he is such a powerful dude. Yeah. Physically and in terms of his, mm-hmm. you know, st- screen charisma, his, yeah. his, his screen uh, persona. Yeah. He is so powerful in that scene. Man, it is, it hurts. Yeah. You know, like, you know what I mean? I mean, I, I don't have to tell all the guys listening that when you see a thing like that on screen, <laughs> you feel it a little bit, yes, a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. Um, and, and it's a really <laughs> brutal, difficult scene. And he does not get up after the torture and fight the bad guys. Yeah. It's not one of those, because in other bonds, he would have. Yeah. He would have shrugged it off and just now we, and we would never discuss it again. In fact, he's in the hospital for a long time yeah. dealing with this. Yeah. Which is ballsy to do that in a Bond film. To put your <laughs> no hero in the hospital, so to speak. Yeah. <laughs> to put your hero in the hospital where he's inactive. Yeah. He's inactive. And Ava, he, Ava has to come and take care of him, you know, and he resists it, of course, because he's the one that should be the man in the situation. It's That's why I like the film so much, dude. It really turns the convention of James Bond around and makes Absolutely. it interesting, relatable, and believable. And it it really pushes the boundaries of we as an audience in 2006 were willing and opening to open to accept in our bond, in our yeah. new bond. You know, Well, and that's part of why she becomes an actual love. Yeah. Is that... He in every other bond thing yeah. with a woman, he always has the power. Yes. And in this sequence, he doesn't have the power. He's vulnerable and she comes to him. Love is tough, man. 
that's when you know. That's Drop when that you know. right, brother. When you're by that's right. When you're vulnerable is when you know you're in love, man. It's when you're beginning the process of in love. Because when you you know you you feel strong in any situations, you handle it, come and go, whatever. But it's when you start to leave that have that vulnerability is when you know you're falling, and you can see that happening with him in this in the hospital se- sequence. Yeah. Well, and this is something we talked about, like we talked about in Die Hard. Yeah. It's oh like yeah. The difference between Die Hard and an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie yeah. is that. Bruce John McClane is vulnerable yeah. and that if you want to show courage you must show fear yeah. you know if you want to show overcoming an obstacle you have to show the pain of that obstacle yeah. Daniel Craig is vulnerable yeah Roger Moore was never vulnerable mm-hmm. and I'm not I'm not knocking it it's just a totally different kind of movie yes agreed you know there is fun seeing the guy that's never bothered by anything mm-hmm. that's fun yeah but that's not what we're seeing here you know, yeah. you're seeing a guy that's flawed, that's struggling, has incredible physical powers and tenacity and intelligence and all these great skills. Yeah. But it inside of it is a really vulnerable, angry mm-hmm. guy. Mm-hmm. And that's what makes this movie um, much more interesting than yeah. the previous Bonds. Absolutely. And, and then they also have a, like I, probably the most vulnerable scene I can think of in a Bond movie, except for maybe some scenes in Skyfall, but where she's in the shower. Yeah. And he has to come and comfort her. Yes. That's like, oh, we're actually having some real emotions. Mm-hmm. I mean, you don't think of real emotions yeah. being moved as a thing that you're going to get in a Bond film. And here you do a I, little bit. Yeah. The shower scene, absolutely, Stephen. I think also when she dies in the water in the elevator. Oh, it's brutal. The fact that she won't let him save she won't let him save her. Yeah. She won't let him. Brother, I get emotional every time because yeah. that frustration that you feel like, no, just let me. Let me. And she won't. I think that last sequence is amazing. Yeah. I think it's a great action sequence. Mm -hmm. It's really inventive. It's really emotional. Because his emotions are complex. Yes, they are. And they're brutal. Yeah. Yeah. It's not like I had to save the girl I love. No. That's not the emotions. No. This is the girl that betrayed me. Yeah. Who I love. Yes. Who I'm angry with, who I hate, who is dying, who is sacrificing herself and betrayed me all at the same time. Right. That's complicated. I think he is trying to save her. I don't think he is trying to Oh, he's to, trying to right, save her. Right, but he, there is that, absolutely, there is that ferocity of the betrayal and they, because of, because he doesn't know the full truth and when he gets the full truth on the boat later from M, it just, it's just so powerful, man. Yeah. And he goes back to, and we see this is why Bond is the way he is with every woman he encounters. Right. There is this, uh, there is, he is in love with Vesper and he'll always be in love with Vesper. No one else can match. But that's not what he says at the end. I mean, I think right, it's true. Right, 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 right. Because you remember what the last line of the movie is? No. So it's this, the last line that he says to M yeah. is the same as the last line of the book, which is the bitch is dead. Yeah. But he doesn't mean it. Well, this is, but that's why it's a great line. Yeah. I think that's why it's a great line in the book. They made sure that it was in the, because it is a brutal line. It is a brutal and line. And I can see being really scared of mm-hmm. putting that line in a Bond movie. Mm-hmm. The bitch is dead. That's a hard, mm-hmm. that's a hard shell covering up a lot of real pain. Right. You but know? I, what I think is brilliant that they do, Steve, is they show him saying it when they, when they could have shown M listening to it over yeah. the phone as opposed, instead, but they show him saying it because they know as an audience. They know they directed it, or whoever. Uh, I'm sorry. The, the direction was to have him play it with with a little, a slight hint of vulnerability, because he does. Because you have to believe he doesn't mean what he's saying. Yeah, he's and, saying uh, it just to. But, just there's, to, but there's also this thing of him. He's now becoming Bond because at the beginning he was a character that M couldn't quite trust. Yes, he was dangerous, not really in control, right. and letting his emotions take him, but still somewhat sociopathic. Yeah, and now at the end, 
he's become what M wants him to become. Yeah. And that's pretty insidious and dark in a mm-hmm. way that we doesn't exist in other Bond movies. I agree. What is your feeling about the progression of the story in the movie? Uh, because Casino Royale, is like, isn't that one of the shortest books in the... It's a short book. Yeah. So I this... mean, I listened to it. It was a four-hour-long audiobook, which means it's... I don't know how many pages, like 200 pages. Yeah. It's short. Yeah. So you, when you're watching the movie yourself... Did you do you feel the progression of what happened, the stakes getting raised, everything? Do you feel that they connect to each other in the pacing of the film? As a filmmaker, does it work for you? So I'll tell you what I, my feeling was. Is okay. that so? When I saw it in the theater, and yeah. I saw it in the theater, and I thought it was great. Yeah, and I think I'd seen it once or maybe twice since then before okay. watching it a couple of nights ago. Mm-hmm. I had to be honest; I didn't like it quite as much as I expected. To. Okay. I think it's good. Yeah. I don't know if I think it's a great film. Okay. You know, I think uh, uh, it's Martin Campbell's the director. Yes. Who is fine. He did Goldeneye. Right. He did. There's another movie he did that I'm drawing a blank on. Mm-hmm. Um, it's fine. I think what what elevates the movie mm-hmm. is Daniel Craig and the reconception of James Bond. Yeah. That's what makes it great. Mm-hmm. Do I think it's like if I and, never, and I would say Eva Green too. She's I would really say good. Green, yeah. She's really good. It, so so in the sense of oh this is establishing the new Bond mm-hmm. as a new origin story. Mm-hmm. You know what I would you know what I would compare it to in a weird way is Batman Begins. Oh yeah. And the reason is so I think Dark Knight, which hopefully we'll talk about at some point. Yes. That is a to. fantastic movie. We will talk about that. Having rewatched Batman Begins fairly recently, I went it's really good. Yeah. It's not great. It's not great. What's really good about it is the new conception of Batman. Yes. Is that they have rejected this stuff of the past. They've made a really strong statement mm-hmm. about this is who Batman is in this world. And they did a great job. Is the movie great? Eh, it's not great. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. Um, and that's actually pretty close to how I feel about Casino Royale. The reintroduction of Bond yeah. is great. Yeah. Batman Begins, it's the director, the actor, and the score. Yeah, that's what it, and you, what you're saying is the reconception of Batman. Those three combine to reconceive Batman and make that movie better than it should be. Right. Uh, and so I agree with you. And I think with this, you're probably you're probably uh, rewatching it. I found some holes in the plot that didn't appear to me in 2006. But now looking back as I see it, I was like, oh, who wouldn't have seen him ram the car on a security camera in the country club parking lot wouldn't see this guy getting out in a white shirt and shades and go find him like, sure what woman is giving what uh, uh, front desk receptionist is giving away information of where this guy's house is so that he can case it like those kinds of things you're just like oh you know what i'm saying a little, a little bit too easy yeah, yeah a little too easy yeah but every but the film overall is so powerful that those small things don't take away from it but they do put holes in it that i didn't see before well, there is what's interesting. There is a certain suspension of disbelief you have to have with Bond. Yes, true. Which is you have to go because we don't have nine, you know, cars driving through buildings and explosions and things, and not have those things like really investigated. Yeah, you know it's true. I mean? It's true. You know what I mean? Those things. Are, and I think in previous Bonds, where it's Roger Moore or Pierce Brosnan or whoever, yeah. that was a fantasy world. Yes. And so it sort of seemed like, oh, this is just this world in which these crazy, crazy things happen. Right. When you make Bond more realistic. In Daniel Craig, the things that are sort of crazy stand out more. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Like, it's just sort of like, wait, this just, this can't be happening the way this is happening. Really? Yeah. You know, like whatever he did in that country at the beginning of the movie where he's chasing that guy through a construction site yeah. and a huge explosion. It's like, well, or the airport. I mean, the airport oh, one the is airport crazy. Is, yeah. It's crazy. It's like, well, that's an international incident and that, you know, cameras on him everywhere. Mm-hmm. He would be on every single newspaper, TV. Here's this crazy guy that destroyed this airport. Yeah. You know, from that point forward. But yeah. you kind of go, oh, kids, <laughs> That's right. 
<laughs> it's Bond. I'll accept it. Yeah. But but then that's the thing that you 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 come back to more and more in the film. It's the personality of Daniel Craig, the portrayal that he does, yeah. that uh, really gets you through the movie and through the kind of like kind of parts you know what I'm saying and that's that's how you can get away with it when you have the right, right actor and you have the right uh, character you can get away with those moments so much more I think Skyfall is the greatest Bond film ever made I agree it's the, the one it's the one with the most cohesive plot that is the most difficult to deconstruct uh, or to, to has real emotions you know, in real it. emotions in it all of it and beautifully shot yes Incredibly shot, yeah. uh, well it's shot. Roger Deakins, isn't it? Yeah, Roger Deakins. Yeah. Just, just that sequence alone, when he is doing the shooting on the on the rooftop and oh, at night cool. with it's in the in the and they fight all, it's just great stuff. But with Casino Royale, Casino Royale is a more vibrant film. The colors are more rich. The the the, 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 the it's more brighter. You know, the shots outside by the water, the shots at the when he's in the when he's at the country club, the shots when he is uh, convalescing, the shots even when they're in uh, Italy when oh, she. Beautiful. dies it's beautiful all shot. very vibrant and beautiful skyfall is pristine and uh, uh solace is dirty and there those are those different kind of sequences that you see or it's different kind of versions of bond that you see and the reason i enjoy casino so much is because it has that vibrancy which is helped by daniel craig's portrayal and you know him coming out in the light blue shorts it could have been any other color but light blue is a vibrant color it just makes well, and, sense and, and let's be real clear he looks good. He does. He looks coming out of that water. Yeah. It obviously is a reference to Ursula Andress in Doctor No. Yes, which true. is referenced by Halle Berry in <laughs> yeah. uh, her in Die Another Day. Die yeah. Another Day. And now, and and I think that's a key point. Mm-hmm. Is like we spent forty years objectifying women in this thing. That's right. Now we're going to objectify this dude, which is ironic because women were already objectifying Bond by watching that. Do you know what oh, I'm saying? Sure. Yeah, but I well, I, he is I an object that they character. Into, he right, was never. Exactly. I mean, but but it definitely. As a physical specimen, yeah, that you know, he is an impressive dude. He really is, dude. Yeah, he he looks great. Yeah, and that's what helps with his fight sequences, uh, which are so well done. And, and I, done. I think you bring up Batman Begins, Stephen. That's a great connection correlation uh, correlative film because the the it's a new fighting style that Christian Bale is being taught and used in Batman Begins. It's Casey, right? right. And and it's all elbows and knees, right? right? There's more it's because it's in close fighting. Right. And we we'd seen the Bourne movies by this point. I think the Bourne the first Bourne movie had come out by this point, and so we needed a Bond that was a I little think it's more before this. Yeah, was, yeah. There was, I think we, so. need, we needed a Bond that was a little more dirty, a little more gritty, and so you had to have these more violent fights more protracted fights and he takes know? a beating he really does and he and he fights great mm-hmm. so you have two things one is he has a it's a great as you say brutal fighting style yeah real in close real fighting style yeah and bond gets hit in a way that you know timothy dalton didn't get hit like this yeah you know what i mean like yeah. he's really a, a a fighter he's a brawler mm-hmm. a scrapper um and, and let's talk a little bit about something we should talk about here is second unit director okay which is that so second unit is is frequently for stunts mm-hmm. for exteriors the the first unit is we're doing scenes where the actors are talking to each other and playing stuff mm-hmm. and the second unit might go out and shoot uh these big action sequences big set pieces um and and Bond has a history of some of the great second unit directors of all time, yeah. including one whose name I don't remember, who became a director. It's not usually a thing that happens. Okay. Stunt coordinators becoming a director or second unit director right, becoming a right. director. And one of the things they really wanted to do with Casino Royale, which they really kept up, I think, in the Bond movie since, is real stunts. Yeah. Which is a thing which, as CG has gotten better and better, that more and more stunts are not real. Yeah. 
They're not real people doing real stuff. Yeah. And the big example of this not being true in the last few years is Mad Max, is Fury yeah. Road. That's real people doing real stuff. Yeah. And the... Sorry, it's so, such a good movie. It's man. a really good movie. The coordination, mm-hmm. the logistics, the science, the skills and the bravery to have people doing these things is something we don't talk enough about in film. Agreed. I firmly believe there are two Oscars that are not given. (laughs) One Oscar is for casting. Biased. Yes, uh, go ahead. For my wife. (laughs) Uh, But but I really firmly believe it is an unsung job. Yes, I agree. I mean, we don't talk about it. We never talked about a movie where we didn't talk about how great the casting was. That's absolutely true. Um, And there's actually people who do that job. Yes. And the other one is stunts. Mm -hmm. I think there should be a Best stunt or a best stunt coordination Oscar. Yeah. I mean, when you have movies that are, you know, huge tentpole action films. Yeah. And half the movie is people going, wow, did you see when this guy did this thing? And those people actually could die. I mean, this isn't like, you know, yeah, someone gives a great performance crying in a film. That's awesome. But they are not really risking their lives. Right. Whereas somebody falling flaming off of a building or going through an explosion or hanging from a thing. Yeah. They're actually risking their lives. Mm Mm-hmm. And that deserves recognition. And I think that people don't understand, like, for instance, they don't understand the science, you know, that they're calculating exactly how big that explosion is or exactly how high this fall is going Mm -hmm. to be or how Mm -hmm. fast this car needs to be going at 32.6 miles per hour when it hits this curb in order to roll in this way, because you have people in one direction, you have another car over there. Mm -hmm. It has to be done with such precision. Uh, And this movie has unbelievable uh, stunts, unbelievable actions. Absolutely. Absolutely. And they're the things that like, whereas for me, and, and I'll, 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 bit, I'll go a bit off script here, uh, Batman versus Superman. I thought the problem with that film is that the action sequence, there's like an hour of talking before there's any action sequences, hour of unnecessary stuff going on before there's action sequences. The action sequences are great, but there's all this other stuff. I don't stuff. think they're great. I think, I think okay, they're okay. Fine. fine. I, I like them. I think they're good, but I have a problem with all this dead time of talking that doesn't really lead you to the action sequences that's, that is a way that they let you appreciate the action sequences. Whereas with Casino Royale, I think there is. I think yeah. every everything that leads up to an action sequence is like um, what I would call I guess like a Jenga thing like you're building it on top or like a pyramid you're building it on top to the to the top and that's that's it's self-enclosed in that way and that's what I enjoy about those action sequences they're led to finish the thing and then move on to like the end of the African sequence pulls out the phone ellipsis what's next woman black frame woman coming out of the water so you're relaxed into a whole new thing of talking leading up to the next action sequence you right. know it's all of well, that they have to be action sequences have to be part of the film yes and all the requirements of inventiveness, rhythm, spectacle, camera movement, performance, storytelling that you would have in any other element of your film need to be in the action sequences. Mm -hmm. Like when he's chasing that guy, I think that opening sequence, the opening action sequence (sighs) and the closing action sequence are my favorites in the film by far. And when he's chasing that guy, you see every little bit of thought process. And you get to see a guy who moves really great, which is so fun. He's one of the founders, I believe, of parkour in France. And and then you get to see Bond's way of getting through all those things, which is always interesting. And you get to see how they fight and what choices they're making Mm -hmm. and how we and you see Bond's intelligence throughout. I mean, that's what makes a good action sequence. It's not just spectacle. It's not just big. And stakes. And stakes stakes of what's happening for you to get through that action sequence 
uh, what you have to get to, what you're trying to find. Like, we don't know initially what he's trying to get in that opening action sequence, but we know we've, we've already been dialed into him from that opening scene in black and white. He's our Bond. We're following him. Awesome intro. Boom. He must be trying to get something. That an idiot agent gets himself killed, and he has to go and find this thing. Everything explodes. It's ferocious. The concrete, the, shoot, the holding the guy, shooting the, the prime minister or whoever the representative that's there, all that stuff that happens is great. The stakes are where they're at. It's when he grabs the phone that we understand the stakes afterwards. And but every other Honestly, action sequence. I still don't understand. Like if I had to, if you had said, <laughs> Steve, explain exactly the plot and what the bad guys were trying to do and what Bond was doing to stop them, I still don't know I could do it. I know that in the it was opening like a sequence? plane in the opening sequence. Well, yeah, I mean the whole yeah. thing, the whole movie, the whole, I oh, know, the whole movie. I know, well, I know the ellipsis. Oh, yeah, okay. What is ellipsis? <laughs> well, that's what it's, it's what's, what Shifre was involved in, and it leads into the second movie and the third movie, and then eventually at the end of Spectre, the fourth movie. So there's it all connects in that way. Oh, sure, it, but it, I don't understand it in watching the movie because <laughs> I don't think that's what it's like. We're trying to get Lashifre. I get that. Yeah. And we're chasing that guy because they're setting off bombs. Because he has a thing. Yeah. Yeah, and they're setting off bombs, but yeah. it's still. They're killing people. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm not. It's a global thing. There's arms dealing, all this kind of stuff. That's what I've he's trying heard to stop. of these things. <laughs> um, I'm just saying. I'm just saying that. But my point is, is that yeah. you, you all, all it really is, is Bond's trying to get that guy, and I go, okay, yeah. Like I don't have to understand exactly what that guy's trying to do, right? Or why they're trying to do it. Or yeah, they're why pieces Bond. in a puzzle. They're connected. They're, they're, sure. As he's moving up the chain of where he's trying to get. To, I know. Which I know. Is I, I, I yeah. do. I do get that, and I get that Lashif has needs the money from the plane that's right. going to help him because he's you know and I, I kind of get it but I, all I, uh, the only point I'm trying to make is that it's not important right you okay know, is that the mechanism of exactly what's happening right we don't really need to care about we yeah. know Bond wants to get that guy we know we have to beat that mm-hmm. guy at poker we, we, we know that guy's the bad guy and yeah. connected to other bad guys yeah that's all I really need to know do you like the way that the Schieffer is killed uh it's just what's in the book yeah, I love the shot. Yes, where he falls into it with the mm-hmm. with the with the bullet. Yeah, I do. I mean, as I said before, it's okay. shocking because our bad guy's dead, and yeah. we've got twenty more minutes of movie. <laughs> right, yeah. it's very relatable to like uh, to live and die in L.A. when they kill off the main protagonist mm. twenty yeah. minutes before the movie's over. And you're yeah. like, wait, I'm following the best friend now. Wait a minute, yeah. you know, it's that kind of thing. Those are shocking and really ballsy moments, but yeah. it works because of the I relationship so. between him and Eva Green, which carries you through the next half of the next part of the movie to where he uses right. a nail gun better than uh, better than anything since Lethal Weapon Two. Yeah, we got to do our list of best nail gun sequences. <laughs> Lethal Weapon Two is definitely a top three or four. I, That's I an awesome nailed him. That, I think <laughs> I think I don't think we need to have a top ten nail gun. There aren't, I don't think there are 10. There are a few. <laughs> All right, John. Yes. Final thoughts on Casino Royale. Oh, such a fantastic film. It was great to sink back into the film after so long. I own it on Blu-ray, but I hadn't watched it in a long time. So it was nice to sink back into the film and do a little bit of research for it and enjoy it. Uh, I would say if you haven't seen it and you're listening to us, thank you for listening, but definitely go back and watch it. And you might find, yes, you might find holes in the film, but you'll, but you'll fall back in love with Daniel Craig as James Bond. I think that that's what Casino Royale does really, really well. And you'll appreciate uh, Eva Green 10 years ago. Yeah. Like everyone's talking about her now. 10 years ago, she was just as powerful yeah. as an actress coming off of Bertolucci's Dreamers. She was really good. She's still f- fantastic. If you've seen Penny Dreadful, she's so great in those, in those, in that's a whole, th- all three seasons. She's a fantastic actress and she needs to be used more. Uh, and Miss Peregrine was fun. And so she's good in those kinds of things. So to me, it's great to go back and revisit that. And Judy Dench's M is so fantastic. Too. Oh, she's always great. Yeah. Yeah. For me, I think I have a bit of a love hate relationship with Bond. Mm. I love him for that childhood moment of watching. The Spy Who Loved Me. Yeah. And I loved 
watching every single Bond. I've seen them all. And, and, and I love the ideas of Bond, and I love yeah. the intelligence of Bond, and I love... Like, I think in my mind, there's the platonic ideal of James Bond. Yes. And I think as I've grown older, more and more the reality has come up wanting. Yes. And most of the time, oh, going to those movies, you know, going to a Timothy Dalton one, going to a Pierce Brosnan one, going yeah. to... I would have moments of watching the movie going, wow, and then walk out sad yeah. and disappointed. Because the truth is you don't ever get to be nine years old yeah. and experience that the way with those kind of eyes. Mm -hmm. You don't get to do that again. Yeah. And I think this movie and the Daniel, this and Skyfall, to me, are ones where, man, it gets pretty close. Yeah. And you get to, cause, because as soon as that movie starts, you go, oh, all of the old Bond stuff is gone. Mm -hmm. Is, is that you have these moments where it's like, oh, we're starting over. Mm -hmm. And maybe I can see the movie with fresh eyes. Yeah. Maybe I can not be a kid again exactly, right. but experience new Bond mm -hmm. in a new way. And this is the thing that, I, you know, is that as a filmmaker, you got to do stuff new. Yes. If you're trying to rehash the old stuff, you're just being a stale copy of a copy. Yes. you got to do things new. And having Daniel Craig come in... And saying we're going to be more realistic. He's going to have some emotions. He's going to make some mistakes. Mm -hmm. Suddenly the movie is fresh. And yeah. I do definitely like that. And we can relate to that. We can connect yeah. to that as human beings going through our own lives, trying to achieve what we're trying to achieve with our mistakes and our successes. Yeah. And I think, too, it goes to, you know, we said this before on The Cinephiles, is I don't. our job is not to just put all movies on the same scale. Yeah. You know, what you go to a Bond movie for is not the same yeah. as what you go to you know, terms of endearment for. Right, or, right, right, right. Or what you go to Apocalypse Now for, what you go to Citizen Kane for. Sure. These are different experiences. And it's good to hear a Bond movie's coming out. Yeah. You know? Yeah. They get that kid-like excitement mm -hmm. and get to go see it. It's pretty exciting. I think that's why I defend Spectre, because I... I, I I know you like that much more than me. I yeah, I know a lot of people. Know. I I thought it was a great uh, a marriage of old school Bond and new Bond, and I really enjoyed that. And I think it was a great way for Daniel Craig to say goodbye to the role. And yeah. so I enjoyed it, me personally, as a historian now of the Bond films, because I went back and watched almost all of them for the top right. ten show when we did our top ten Bond films. I like that it's what it did, but I understand people's not liking that film. When, when you watched all of them, because I watched all of them because I worked on the DVDs. Yes. So I watched all of them yeah. fifteen years ago or something. Mm -hmm. Um. Did it hurt? Yes. Some of them are really utterly unwatchable, like just bad, like cheesy yeah. bad. And some of the sequences, even in the good ones, are not great. Like yeah. for Marsha with Love, that sequence under the when they're going up and watching the guys mm -hmm. in the around the table and the angle that they can't see who the Russian guy is in the general outfit, all the, in the general's outfit, all that kind of stuff. You're like, ooh, but that's a t product of its time. So you have to have a little more understanding about it. Uh, but I still enjoyed going back to seeing what they were trying to do with the character because obviously there were enough of the films that resonated with enough audiences that generations upon generations love this character of James Bond. Yeah, yeah. I mean we're now. Yes. 60, 60 plus years after he was created. Right. And we're still kind of interested. And the world is completely different. Yes. You know, like the Cold War is over. The whole nature of the world is different. Right. England is different. Great Britain is in different. The United States is different. Our sense of technology is different. Yeah. And yet we still kind of like this guy, James Bond. He's still interesting. <laughs> He's our sixth iteration, I think, right? Yeah. If I'm yeah. correct, yeah. And, well, if you don't count Jimmy Bond in the 1950s <laughs> or Lucky, show, yes. or Lucky, or Orson Welles <laughs> or and you know, Woody Allen. I'm not going to count any of those Bonds. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I'm curious now, who's the next Bond going to be? Yeah. What are we going to do? What do, you, what do? Who do you want? Like, can we say, can we end the podcast by asking? I, I don't know if I have an opinion. I mean, okay. I've heard the, the, what's his name? Idris Elba. Idris Elba. That's yeah. great. He's a great actor. Yeah, I would love to have Idris Elba. That'd be cool. A, a black 
Bond would be awesome. Sure. Uh, I mean, all these people screaming about Sky, screaming about, oh, he's Scottish, he's I, whatever. Kiss my ass. It's, 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 no, it's he's, he's, you know, whatever. Cast uh, a great actor. Hiddleston will be great too. I, I would love to sure. see a Hiddleston version of Bond, but I think there's someone out there that no one's talking about that they can find, like Daniel Craig. They found you know him what? in the smaller bit parts and to see what he could do with it. Barbara know? Broccoli, and I forget the other producer's Albert, name. Albert, yeah. Well, Albert's dead. Oh, right. Bar- I'm Barbara's running it now, right. and who's his daughter. Okay. And I forget the other main producer. Mm-hmm. Those are smart people. Yeah, they are. You know, and whatever you say about whether or not all these movies are good, there's a lot of talent working there. So yeah. I bet I have kind of some faith they'll find someone good. Would you want to see a final, like a, an older Bond, oh, one I last would. episode of Pierce Brosnan as Bond, like an older Bond? Would you be up I, for that? Absolutely. Yeah, I so would. would I. I mean, if they gave Connery a never say never again type thing, I think they can give Pierce that. Because Pierce, Pierce, Pierce brought people back into the Bond sure. fold. And I think he deserves one last send-off film. My, me personally. Well, I, I like as the, a standalone. I, I like the idea of old Bond. Yeah. I mean, like one of my first comic book jobs that never came out was writing the final adventure of Conan the Barbarian. I wrote it like oh, a, a wow. 12-part. Uh, what? Yeah, that was, yeah, and it never came out. Um, it was it, for all sorts of reasons, but like old man Conan mm-hmm. on his last quest. That oh, was the idea. God. Steve um, Morris, I would like to petition you for us to get Dan Pinocian on the show to talk Conan the Barbarian. Oh, we definitely should have Dan that come on be, to talk. I, that film um, is a classic. I don't care what anyone says. That film is a classic. Um, yeah, and I saw like the idea of the old, like just like Dark Knight. Dark yeah. Knight Returns, yes. Frank Miller, old mm-hmm. Batman. I yeah. love that. So you want to do old Bond? If, if, if the Broccoli's will call me, oh, Steve Morris, <laughs> you can reach me on Twitter at SR Morris. I will write the old Bond script. I am ready to go. That's what you call a segue from a professional, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> and where can they reach you on Twitter? <laughs> They can always find me at the Roca says R O C H A. See all the shows I'm hosting there. Uh, Super Animation Game Time, 1 p.m. on Geek and Sundry on their Twitch channel every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Walking Dead every Sunday. If this comes out before the season's over, you can watch our review show on Collider. And occasionally on Fridays, I am on Collider Movie Talk at 11 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. And you, as always, you can reach us on Facebook at The Cinephiles, T H E C I N E F I L E S. That's The Cinephiles on Facebook. Please review us on iTunes. We've gotten a lot of great reviews from you lately. It's really great to hear from you. Yes, thank you. And we would love more praises because that's what makes us happy. That's really, that's the only pay we get for the show. And so you saying nice things about us is what keeps us going. Yeah, agreed. Uh, And that's it for this week. We will see you next time on The Cinephiles.